Cage Warriors, PFL Europe Series, LFA, CFFC, KSW, and Fury FC all have events going down in the coming weeks. And if you plan on researching them and producing predictions and breakdowns and analysis, the best place to do all of that work is going to be on the MMA Fight Archive. Link in the description below. We give you guys a seven-day free trial to try it out even before you have to dish out any money. You can try it out and see why 35 plus other people have already signed up over the last couple weeks just to see how good it is. It has direct links to past fights for all the competitors competing on these upcoming matchups, which makes your researching so much easier and it saves you a boatload of time so you don't have to do the scouring of the web yourself. I promise you it's going to be the biggest database of direct links to past fights over the coming months as we continue to add more and more fighter profiles to it. As of right now, we just passed the 1600 fighter profile mark and I believe by the end of summer we're going to be closer to 2000. That's going to be contender series and all the other regional promotions that we cover. So make sure you guys check it out again. Seven day free trial available for you. Link in the description below. Check it out. I promise you won't be disappointed, especially if you do all your own work. Again, there's reasons why professionals within the industry trust your boy with this type of work because they know I provide everything that you need to research on fighters and I leave no stone unturned. Check it out. MMA Fighter Archive. Link in the description below. Now let's get right into the episode. Welcome to another episode of the MMA Lockcast. I'm your host, Manpreet, aka MMA Lock of the Night, and your boy on social media at MMALOTN. This week, we're going over UFC Vegas 76, headlined by a middleweight matchup between Sean Strickland and Abus Magomedov. We got a great co-main event on tap as well between Demir Ismagulov and Grant Dawson. A couple other great fights sprinkled out throughout the card, including Ismael Bonfin against Benoit Saint-Denis. I am so stacked, or just stoked i want to stay stoked and jacked for this upcoming card usually fight nights aren't riddled with these many fun fights especially for the hardcore fan and i can't wait to break it down for you guys a ton of great fights to get through can't wait to do it for you guys before we do though as we always do as form of transparency and keeping it clear with you guys we'll go over the lock of the night and dog of the night prediction from the last card Unfortunately, Gabriel Santos takes an L as my lock of the night prediction as I really thought his pace, pressure, and forward movement would keep David Onama on the defensive and eventually suck him dry of his energy reserves and eventually take over and possibly finish him in the second or third round. All was going to plan in that first round, but in the second round, Onama landed a beautiful combination to put Santos down and knock him out, giving Santos his first loss by finish. Good work from David Onama there, but we take it now. Thankfully, we get the hurting stunted a little bit considering the dog of the night comes through for us with a Chepe Mariscal going out there and put on a hellacious performance against Trevor Peak to get his hand raised. So we pick up a dub in the dog of the night, but an L for the lock of the night. On the regional side of things, we picked up a dub on the PFL lock of the night with Natan Schulte coming through pretty easily for us in a sparring match against Hauschmannfield, but I'll take the dub regardless. We had a lock of the night for LFA as well, but there's a lot of changing pieces and moving parts in that um, in that card, and it ultimately affected our lock of the night uh, prediction that night, which ended up making it a void spot. So that brings our lock 
Lock of the Night predictions to 53 and 16 on the year for a 77% hit rate, what I'm not too, which I'm not too mad about. And then for the Dog of the Night, like I said, we hit Mariscal for the UFC. We missed Stevie Ray on the PFL as our Dog of the Night. And then we just missed the underdog spot for LFA, which was the under four and a half in the main event slot for the Cody Davis fight. Cody Davis couldn't posture up a minute earlier and get that finish. Unfortunately, he gets the finish with about a minute left on the clock, which unfortunately is over the four and a half round mark. So we take an L there. That brings our dog of the night prediction on the year from 30 or to 31 and 39 on the year for a 44% hit rate. Again, underdog odds. You get him plus money. I know at a certain rate, it'll end up putting us under the the profit mark but as of right now with you know a 31 and 39 run i still believe we're in the profit there again cage warriors this weekend if you're looking for breakdowns on those fights you can find it specifically on the patreon my personal patreon lock of the night patreon which you can find in the description below so if you want breakdowns and predictions for that card which i believe goes down saturday as well make sure you check out the patreon shout out to everybody that's already on there and then the last thing to plug here is the main event and three best money line articles that i drop for godzilla wins shout out to the guys over there at godzilla wins allowing me to still drop written articles for the masses links to those can be found in the description below again wednesday i dropped the main event one thursday i dropped the three best money line bets that all of those again can be found in the description below if you guys want to check it out appreciate that all right enough of my jibber jabber in here let's get right into the breakdowns for every single fight on this ufc vegas 76 card kicking things off in the heavyweight division we got 16 and 2 alexander romanov Going up against 19-5, Blagoy Ivanov. Starting off on the Romanov side here. He's riding a two-fight losing streak, which are the only two losses in his professional MMA career. The last time around, we saw him get chipped away and finished by Alexander Volkov in a very dominant performance from uh, the Russian fighter. Romanov was unable to get Volkov to the ground, which is why we saw Volkov have such success on the feet and be able to finish Romanov in the manner that he did. The fight prior to that was the one that fully exposed Alexander Romanov as he had a great first round, but ultimately fell off in the second and third rounds, allowing Tybura to put together a good enough uh, body of work to get his hand raised by the judges that night. It was really the Juan Espino fight five fights ago that exposed Romanov's poor gas tank, and he still benefited from that fight from an illegal, I don't remember what it was, it was an eye poke or a, it was just an illegal shot. I think it actually was a shot to the cup, uh, and Romanov was able to get the, you know, early stoppage there essentially, and that fight was scored on pretty much 11 minutes of fighting, and Romanov was still able to get his hand raised that night. He followed that up with two more dominant performances over Jared Vandera and Chase Sherman. But it was clear that if you can extend him past that first round, maybe even a round and a half, that's where you can really start taking over and take advantage of the poor gas tank that Romanov normally showcases. But let me not uh, sway you away from how devastating and uh, much of a demolition man he can be in the early going of fights considering how powerful he is with his wrestling, slamming his opponents to the mat, and then doing his best King Kong uh, imitation by smashing these opponents from that top position. It's just the gas tank and cardio that we need to worry about. On the flip side for Blagoy Ivanov, he's riding uh, a 2-3 and three run over his last five fights. His last fight came earlier this year where he dropped a decision to Marcin Tybura. 
I believe that was a fight where Blagoy did enough in the first two rounds to get his hand raised by decision, but it was not meant to be as more judges ended up scoring that fight for Taibura. Tabura had a very strong third round where he was able to negate the most of uh, Blue Goy's offense with his grappling and kicking it into the next gear to control Ivanov up against the cage, riding his back position for the majority of that fight or that round, and then picking up the decision victory. Blagoy, still a very dangerous fighter at 36 years old. He has a slick boxing game with good body work when he wants to, you know, try to get his opponents to lower their defenses so that he can eventually come back to the head and land some big shots there. He has a sneaky clinch and sambo game as well that he can employ when he needs to. But I really think the best parts of his game have been his durability, his cardio, and his ability to just dig deep and just pull it out uh, over fighters that are starting to slow down. That's where you know he, he has really made his name throughout his 24-fight professional MMA career. And I think he still has a lot to showcase in the top 10 to 15 range of this heavyweight division. Firstly, I'm kind of surprised that the UFC decided to put a heavyweight fight like this as the first fight of the night. But here we are. Now, this is a very intriguing one, and I feel as though that the the, the masses are kind of leaning on that last round from the Tybura and Ivanov fight as to why uh, Romanov is getting so much love here. But I don't think that we'll see Romanov have as much success late in this matchup. Now, it's going to be difficult for Ivanov to get through that first round, but believing in his durability and uh, uh, you know just being able to get out of those bad positions, I feel, will allow him to get into the second and third rounds where we know Romanov is usually running on empty and cannot be nearly as effective as he usually is in the first round of his matchups. So yes, it will be a nail-biter in the early going here, but I fully expect Ivanov's durability and veteran veteran experience to get him into the second and third rounds and start to take over in this matchup, possibly even getting a third-round stoppage, stoppage of his own. Hopefully his Sambo background comes into play here, keeps him, in, keeps him safe enough in that first round so that he can get this win for us in the second, third, or even via decision. Give me an underdog here to start off the night here and Blagoy Ivanov. Next up in the women's flyweight division, we got the UFC debut of former Aries FC flyweight champion and undefeated 6-0 prospect Ivana Petrovic. She's going up against 8-4 Luana Carolina. Starting off on the Ivana side, like I said, 6-0 professional record. She's finished her last two opponents by submission, and she actually finished uh, uh, her second and third fight by knockout as well. She seems to very be a very prominent, promising prospect excuse me, uh, with solid groundwork, especially when she's able to establish that top position. Her striking still needs a little bit of work in my opinion, but she does a good enough job in terms of closing that gap, getting the fight uh, to the ground, and then doing work from on top. Her control time has been very impressive, and she's been able to transition to the back of her opponents pretty flawlessly, which opens up the rear naked choke, which is something that she really likes to apply against her opponents. It's really her durability and her ability to push uh, de- uh, push harder, especially in deep waters, which has allowed her to pull away with these matchups later and then eventually get her hand raised. Her opponent, Luana Carolina, is riding a two-fight losing streak here as she got knocked out by Molly McCann in 2022 by a vicious spinning back elbow. And then she went back to the scene of the crime earlier this year, but ended up losing a split decision to Joanne Wood. 
Lana Carolina is definitely much better than I originally gave her credit for. She's getting better in terms of her takedown defense and showcasing an educated and voluminous, as Mr. John Hanek likes to put it, uh, striking game, where she's putting together good combinations, utilizing good footwork, and just battering her opponents from distance. It just seems that opponents that are a little bit more, you know, a little bit more technically savvy in the striking realm uh, are able to get the better of her. But I love to see her improving takedown defense game that allows her to keep fights in the range she feels most comfortable, which is, like I said, the striking range. And I look forward to seeing if she can save her UFC job this weekend, considering the UFC doesn't do the best or at least promise the most for fighters that are on three fight losing streaks. So Carolina's job is probably on the line here. Let's see if she can save it. Petrovich is a very promising prospect, but I believe her uh, fights against, you know, the type of competition she's been facing is not the greatest in preparation for what she's going to face in the UFC. Now, Carolina is a fighter that Petrovich needs to beat if she wants to go out there and showcase that she can still have a solid career at the highest level but i think she might end up struggling getting her grappling going in this matchup we've seen improved uh, grappling defenses from carolina over her last several fights and i think that's going to aid her in keeping this fight upright which is where i believe she'll have the advantage over petrovich specifically in the output and combination striking realm petrovich is talented all around don't get me wrong but i really think just her greenness in the game against higher levels of competition is going to be a detriment to her in this matchup obviously my favorite prediction in this matchup will be the over two and a half as is with most women's mma matchups but i think that the experience is going to play in favor to carolina here where she'll be able to outstrike petrovic and win this fight by decision Heading over to the men's lightweight division, we got 12-3 Garam Kutataladze going up against 14-3 Elvis Brenner. Starting off on the Kutataladze side, he's coming off a loss to Demir Ismagulov last time around in a very close fight, which was actually a split decision loss for Gurum. but he is finally stepping back in the cage and not getting much of a layup here, but at least a fighter that will push him and try to kick him into gear and ripe off that dust that seems to be accumulating on him. It's unfortunate that we've only gotten to see Gurum inside the UFC octagon twice since his debut back in October 2020, but it's been a plethora of injuries that have kept him out of action, and hopefully this weekend is a sign of him being able to get back things on track get things back on track and keep him busy inside the UFC cage He's a very highly touted prospect and is one of the main training partners of Mr. Hamzat Shemaev, which is why a lot of people have big expectations for him. This Magulov fight, like I said, it was close, but he's facing a better technical striker that night and was unable to get the rest of his game going. But the fact that, you know, say what you want about the decision in the Gamrod fight, but the fact that he was the first person to hand Gamrod his profession, or first professional loss in 20 professional MMA fights just goes to show how high of a ceiling that Grum actually has. He has a great power striking game and can mix in the takedowns when he needs to, but in terms of his grappling, he utilizes it defensively very well to keep fights in the upright position where he can do his best work. His opponent this weekend, Elvis Brenner, came in on short notice and pulled off an upset as a plus 460 underdog last time around against Zubera Tuhugov earlier this year, and now is trying to pull off another big upset victory 
this weekend against Gurum. He trains out of the same camp as Charles Oliveira over there at the Diego Lima uh, shoot-to-box camp. And even though he's a high-level BJJ black belt, he showcases very solid striking skills, especially with his ability to put constant output out there and landing devastating blows. A lot of people have some qualms about the decision victory he got over to Hugov earlier this year, but he made it look good enough for the judges for him to get his hand raised. He had good combination striking and really liked to implement his kicks, especially to end off combinations. It's going to be interesting to see if he can continue the momentum that he has and if he can continue to pull off upsets just like he did in his UFC debut. This seems like a great matchup for Kutatiladze to make his return and rebound from his first UFC loss. Brenner will keep things competitive with his output and his volume, but I think it's going to be Grum's uh, more effective strikes that he lands, which will look better for the judges in terms of how much damage he lands, but also his ability to take this fight to the ground and be safe from that top position if he chooses to do so i really hope he decides to utilize his grappling because he can do great work on top against a guy who likely will be too confident in his jujitsu game and end up kind of rolling you know nothing when he uh when he tries throwing up submissions or looking for reversal opportunities give me Gurum to bounce back uh, emphatically here maybe getting a, a late stoppage here but i think that he'll ultimately win it by decision Next up in the featherweight division, we got 14-3-1 Joe Anderson Brito welcoming short notice newcomer Weston Wilson, who has a 16-7 record. Starting off on the Joe Anderson Brito side, he's running a two-fight winning streak where he's been able to finish both of his opponents in the first round. That is coming off of his unfortunate debut in the UFC where he ended up losing a decision to Bill Algio in a fight where he was unable to get the beat on Algio's movement and awkward style of striking. We know how Brito fights. It's pretty similar to the tattoo that he has on his back of the shark as he is very aggressive and usually never settles for bad positions no matter what his opponents throw at him. He loves crashing the pocket and utilizing significant strikes in combinations and with nothing but heat on them but also doesn't mind taking fights to the ground and doing big damage to his opponents from that top position with his ground and pound or seeking submission opportunities as well. It's unfortunate that his last two fights have now been taking place against short notice UFC newcomers, but at 28 years old, he has plenty of time to still carve out a spot for himself on the UFC roster, garner some high-level experience, and then start making his way toward title contention, which is what a lot of people believe he is capable of. His opponent this weekend, Walston... Weston Wilson, who I like to call welfare Wonderboy, considering he actually trains out of the same camp as Stephen Wonderboy Thompson, but is just not nearly as good. He's actually coming off of a loss to former UFC fighter Teruto Ishihara less than a year ago. He's pulled off three straight victories all in the first round since that matchup, which has ultimately propped him up in this spot to get the short notice call up to the UFC. It's a very unusual call-up considering that he's 34 years old and the level of competition that he's been defeating is very abysmal. I believe that the combined record of his last three opponents is 22 and nine, or 22 and 29. Not a good look at all, especially with how easily he's been polishing these guys as well. He's a very violent individual too in terms of going out there, getting the finish or even getting finished himself. 21 of his 23 fights have finished inside the distance with uh, only one of those 21 fights going past the one and a half round mark. 
He's either going out there, like I said, getting the finish, utilizing his karate type style to dart in and out of range and land big strikes, or taking the back of his opponents as he seems to be very slick in the jiu-jitsu realm as well. But it seems as though when he takes legitimate steps on pick competition, he falters under the pressure, falters under the skill set, and ends up looking for a way out. I feel like this is going to be a one-sided beatdown and the minus 1300 on Brito not looking too bad. But I'm going to be honing in on the under one and a half in this matchup. Again, quite chalky around that minus 250, minus 260 range. But given how these guys match up and the aggressiveness of Brito, I fully expect it to translate into an early stoppage here. I think he'll be able to counter effectively when Wilson tries to crash the pocket and try to get out before he can. I think the explosiveness and speed of Brito early will cause Wilson troubles and possibly even open up a club and sub opportunity for the Brazilian fighter. But I'm going to go with Brito. I think he gets it done in the first round. If you want to hone in on Brito round one, I don't blame you either. But I'm going to go under one and a half, but specifically Brito by submission. Going down in the women's featherweight division, we got Yana Santos coming in with a 14-7 and record. She goes up against 16-5 and Carol Hosa. Starting off on the Yana Santos side, who was originally scheduled to fight Macy Kiasan in a bantamweight matchup this weekend. Kiasan was forced to pull out, thus Yana Santos gets a short notice replacement but up a weight class, so neither of them have to worry about cutting too much weight to make the date. Santos is on a two-fight losing streak, but also one fight removed since giving birth to her new child with former UFC fighter Thiago Santos and also their marriage as well, which they had last year. Santos, 33 years old, still has something to offer in the UFC bantamweight and now, I guess, featherweight division. But it's clear over her last couple losses to Aspen Lad, Adina Aldana, and Holly Holm what her ceiling is. She's a decent grappler with good range striking, but it doesn't seem like she has what it takes to get to the next level. She can beat the Yulia Stolyarenkos of the world and even very uh, and a very depleted and compromised Ketlin Vera, but I just don't know if she'll be able to crack that top seven, top five of the division to earn herself another title shot. On the flip side for Carol Hosa, she is coming off a loss to Norma Dumont last time around, which also took place at featherweight. In that fight, it seemed like Carol Hosa didn't wake up until the last six or seven minutes of that matchup, which is clearly what she ended up winning considering the, the, the aggressiveness and pressure she was showcasing. But she seemed a little bit too content with giving up time up against the cage for the first seven to eight minutes of that matchup. Carol Hosa, or Norma Dumont did a great job in terms of pushing her up against the cage and just kind of keeping her there and chipping away at her. But it seemed like once Hosa decided, hey, why am I allowing her to do this? Let me dig some underhooks, get out back out into open space, or even push her up against the cage. That's where we saw Hosa have some success. I believe Hosa is best fit at 135 pounds, but she seems to be taking this short notice spot just over a month after her loss to Norma Dumont, just as a case of going out there and trying to right the wrong of her last matchup. She's a very skilled fighter who can go out there and pretty much have her way uh, in any form of martial arts in terms of whether it's the striking, if she has a significant striking advantage over her opponent, she can go out there and put up triple digit significant strikes, or she can go out there and take opponents to the ground and grind them out from that top position as well. I believe, uh, sorry, I had said earlier that host is coming off a month uh, layoff, but it's actually two months uh, removed since she had lost to Norma Dumont. 
But again, I think she has still a solid amount of potential. 28 years old, trains at a great training camp as well. I just think that Sarah McMahon fight was a bit of a hiccup for her. But if she finds herself back in the bantamweight division, I expect to see some more dubs across her record. Let's just see if she can get past a tough test in Yana Santos this weekend. I'm hoping Rosa picked up a thing or two from her last matchup against Dumont because there can be instances in this matchup where Santos might have success keeping her up against the cage. However, I feel like Rosa is intelligent enough to ensure that she doesn't get stuck on the cage, utilizes her movement, utilizes her output, but eventually her takedowns where I think she can do solid success or solid work from on top against Yata Santos. Santos is struggling with getting back to her feet in most of her matchups and Rosa has shown great ability to control opponents on the mat when she can get them there as long as she shows the urgency she'll get this fight over the two and a half round mark which is my favorite prediction for this matchup but i think it's going to be hosa having the majority of success in this fight as long as she show as long as she shows the urgency that she did in the second and third rounds of her dumont fight give me hosa here to win this fight by decision Next up is the prelim headliner, which is headlined by a welterweight matchup between the returning Kevin Lee coming in with a 19-7 record going up against 21-2 Renat Fakhradinov. Starting off on the Kevin Lee side of things, he only picked up one victory after getting originally released from the UFC at the ending of 2021, and it was a very abysmal performance against Diego Sanchez. Kevin Lee, who was expected to go out there and just smash Diego Sanchez within the first round, required all 15 minutes to just slowly chip away at Sanchez and get his hand raised that night. Kevin Lee, in my opinion, still will suffer from cardio issues and a lack of a striking game, which is why I don't think his second attempt in the UFC is going to be much different from the first attempt. He was seen as a guy with a lot of potential, especially coming in with the record that he had. He had a great start to his UFC career as well, considering the amount of fights that he got and even built his way up to an interim title fight. Unfortunately, after that loss to Tony Ferguson, or I should say including that loss to Tony Ferguson for the interim title, he is now 3-5 and five over his last eight fights. It seems that he cannot keep up with a higher level of competition that the UFC offers. And, you know, this fight against Renat this weekend will determine how high up Renat can get as well, but also how successful Kevin Lee could potentially be now being back at the UFC. The main difference between Kevin Lee before, uh, you know, sorry, after he originally got cut and now coming back is that he's joined forces with Killcliff FC, which is a great training camp top three in the world in terms of high-level coaching and high-level training partners. Let's see if they can mold Kevin Lee into a better version of himself and try to get more comfortable at 170 pounds and if that will translate into dubs or not. On the flip side is Renat Fakhredinov, who is riding a two-fight winning streak in the UFC thus far and has been absolutely smashing his opponents en route. He's spent over 30 minutes in the octagon through his two fights so far and has accumulated over 27 minutes of control time against both guys. That's 12 takedowns and just relentless top pressure keeping his opponents on the mat and just smashing them from on top. He has a 21-2 record like I stated earlier, but he has a winning streak right now that stretches over 9 years and has 16 fights under it. He's looking to increase it to 17 this weekend by picking up the biggest win of his career over Kevin Lee. 
We know what to expect from Fakradinov. Relentless grappling and just an aggressive striking style, but not so much to try to knock you out on the feet, but more so to eventually drag you to the mat and do some good work from on top, but always being position over submission so he's able to keep you on the mat and just continue doing what he's doing. I feel like this is a horrible matchup for Kevin Lee to come back to. Yes, his grappling might be able to keep this fight competitive in the early going, but unless he can produce a highlight reel head kick knockout like he did against Gregory Gillespie several years back, I think he's going to be struggling to deal with the pace and pressure that Fakradinov puts onto him. I think a lot of the success that's going to come from Kevin Lee at this stage in his career is going to be from him being able to dictate the pace of his matchups, but he's fighting a guy that is going to be on him from the get-go. A guy that, like I said earlier, has 27 minutes of control time and 30 minutes of octagon time like it's going to be tough for kevin lee to have much success here again early will be he could find some success but as this fight starts to go down the stretch get into deeper water i expect fakradinov's grapple heavy approach to pay off for him here and control kevin lee for the majority of this matchup getting his hand raised by decision or even a third round stoppage give me fakradinov to spoil the homecoming for kevin lee we got a banger in the middleweight division to kick off the main card here as we have 10-0 Bruno Ferreira going up against UFC newcomer 34-8-2 Nursultan Ruzibuev. Starting off on the Ferreira side, he's coming off a tremendous knockout victory over Gregory Rodriguez, which was a short-notice debut spot for himself. He had actually earned a UFC contract through the Contender Series last year and was showcasing good work against Leon Aliu up until the point that he eventually found the knockout victory. It was inevitable for him to make his UFC debut, but I found it interesting that he decided to take the short notice spot against Gregory Rodriguez in Brazil, having a you know Brazil versus Brazil crime going on. But after enduring that jab and straight shots down the pipe from Rodriguez, Fajeda was able to uncork on a beautiful three-hook combination with the last one finally landing on Rodriguez and putting him out cold. Bruno fights pretty much like his nickname, the Hulk, as he either tries to knock his opponents out on the feet or drag them to the ground and then use that smash, that Hulk smash to get these guys out from that top position. He's a BJJ black belt as well, and he has three submission victories under his 10 professional wins as well, but he's always looking to knock you out and put your lights out. I'm curious to see what his cardio looks like considering all of his fights have finished inside the distance, and now with him taking steps up in competition, it's going to be harder for him to come by those finishes, but it's going to take the perfect stylistic matchup for us to find out those answers. On the flip side for Nur Sultan, Ruzi Buev comes in on short notice here, but has a ton of experience under his belt. This is going to be his 45th professional MMA fight, although he does have a couple no contests sprinkled in throughout his record, so maybe this is 47, fight number 47, but he's only 29 years old and has a, so much experience under his belt. His level of competition has been very sketchy, especially the guys he's been defeating, but it's really when you see him take steps up in competition where you see his weaknesses. He's very aggressive in the grappling realm, whether he's on top or on bottom. But when he does face guys that are just better grapplers than him, he really struggles from that bottom position and is unable to pull off the submissions like he has been against other opponents, especially in recent fights. His striking game is nothing special as he doesn't really do the best job in terms of establishing his range from distance because he's just comfortable with crashing the pocket, getting you into the clinch and looking to take you to the ground. 
for a guy with as much experience as he has, I expected a little bit more from him technique wise and, you know, to be a little bit better to be honest, but it seems like he's content with just beating up on low-level guys on the regional scene to have eventually made it to the UFC, which has been a successful plan for him to this point. We'll see if he can survive against the higher levels of competition and higher levels of resistance he'll be facing, especially since it seems like a lot of the guys he was facing were you know, very young in their MMA career or just very old and wouldn't were unable to keep up with the youth that Rizaboev brought to the table. I feel like this is a fight that Bruno Fajera can go out there and do Bruno Fajera things. I think he, I'm expecting a Hulk smash type of finish from him here where he clips uh, Nur Sultan early in this matchup, drags him to the mat, and then does massive work from on top where he's able to get that early stoppage. The under one and a half is not too bad in this fight either as I'm expecting violence from the jump here. And the way that these guys match up, I think Fajera's power striking style is going to pay off for him here, resulting in a ground and pound finish for him in the first round Give me Bruno Fajera by stoppage. Next up, we got another banger going down in the lightweight division as we have Ismael Bonfin coming in with a 19-3 record. He's going up against Tenenois Benoit Saint-Denis. Starting off on the Bonfin side, he is just coming off a spectacular flying knee knockout over Terrence McKenney earlier this year, which was his UFC debut after earning his contract on the 2022 season of the Contender Series. He is a very polished striker with good combination striking, loves to work the body, but also has a great kicking game as well. His jiu-jitsu game is not too bad, but it's really his striking where he shines the most. He has a great striking defense game as well too, which makes it very difficult for a lot of opponents to hit him cleanly and take advantage of any types of chinks in the armor they see there. Just for an example, Terrence McKinney only landed 28% of his significant strikes. On the flip side, even in the uh, Nariman Abisov fight, he only landed 20% of his 225 significant strikes that he threw against Bonfim. That just goes to show how crisp and how technical Bonfim is with his striking and also very powerful in terms of seeking out the, uh, the knockout but never really forcing it, getting himself out of position where his opponents could take advantage of him. With a phenomenal record, like I said, of 19 and 3 and only seven or 27 years old, I think the sky is the limit for Bonfim and I love how the UFC is bringing him along nice and slowly. On the flip side, Benoit Saint-Denis has bounced back very well after that unfortunate UFC debut he had against Elizio Zaleski. For most people, remember that fight for could have been, you know, having the, the opportunity to have been stopped numerous times throughout that matchup. The incompetent referee that night allowed Benoit to take way more damage than he should have. But Benoit has, like I said, bounced back successfully twice now by finishing both of his opponents in the second round of their matchups. He is a grapple-heavy fighter that looks to take fights to the ground as soon as the first bell goes, as he always has that grappling advantage over most of his opponents. His jiu-jitsu is slick, which is why he's been able to finish pretty much everyone that has stepped in the cage with him, and he is always entertaining considering he just he's never a lay in prayer. He's always looking for the finish. He's looking to advance to a more dominant position so that he can knock you out or find that submission. Or on the flip side, always just staying in your face, pushing the pace and trying to drown you so that he can eventually finish you. But that it can also work counteractively just as it did in the Elysio Zaleski fight. And now at the UFC level with this being his fourth fight, it's going to be tough to see him getting more wins against higher levels of competition. But he might be able to beat the bottom of the barrel guys to keep his... UFC roster spot 
It all depends on how the UFC looks to book him moving forward and if he's even able to pull off the upset victory this weekend over Ishmael Bonfim. I think this is a horrible matchup for Benoit Saint-Denis. Now, Terrence McKenney on paper is a better wrestler than Benoit, and he had absolute trouble getting Bonfim to the ground in their matchup. It was not until Bonfim threw a wayward head kick in the dying seconds of the first round that we saw McKenney have any top time in that matchup. He struggled to get Bonfim down, and then once Bonfim was able to get distance, he started unloading on big shots on McKenney and eventually knocked him out. This could look similar to that matchup, and it might even look worse. I'm taking Bonfim to win this fight pretty emphatically. His minus 300 number might be a bit of a gift, honestly, and would be a no-brainer parlay piece this weekend, but I expect him to get the knockout victory probably in the second round of this matchup. Next up in the women's flyweight division, we got 15-8 Ariane Lipsky going up against 8-1-2 Melissa Gatto. Starting off on the Lipsky side, she's coming off a career best performance against J.J. Aldrich last time around where she was able to batter her on the feet and take home a decision victory. That is the Ariane Lipsky people expected to see when she made the transition over from the KSW scene and came in as the Violence Queen, I believe was her nickname, given to her by the Polish fans. She was a tremendous Muay Thai expert who would pick her opponents apart with combination striking and more often than not put them away. Unfortunately, she's had a very rough run in the UFC before that J.J. Aldrich fight, with her biggest win being over Mandy Baum, who we all know is really not UFC level. Most other opponents were able to drag her to the mat and do absolute work from on top, or you know, more often than not, get her out of there as well. She, you know, when she is the one that can dictate the pace and has the striking advantage over her opponents, that's where we see her get comfortable, just like she did in the J.J. Aldrich fight and the Mandy Baum fight as well. On the flip side for Melissa Gatto, she's coming off her first ever career loss at the hands of Tracy Cortez. That was a close fight, especially going into the third round with it being 1-1 for either woman. That just showed how dangerous Melissa Gatto can be, especially against a very strong grappler and wrestler like Tracy Cortez. Gato has been put on her back by a couple of her opponents, but she's so aggressive off of her back that she can reverse position, find a submission, or work back to her feet and then get back to her aggressive striking style, which makes it very difficult for her opponents to keep up with her. She looks to have a very good gas tank too, which is allowing her to get these late finishes, especially that beautiful body kick knockout against Sajar Eubanks two fights back. She's only 27 years old, and even with her picking up her first defeat in her last fight, I think we're going to continue to see a better version of Gato every time she steps in the cage. Her power striking, nasty kicks, and just aggressive style is just so hard for people to keep up with, especially with how uh, she sets the pace and keeps that pace that, again, not many fighters will be able to keep up with or have an answer for. I think the confidence that I had in the J.J. Aldrich fight last time around Lipsky uh, touched foot in the octagon is what I was expecting when we're getting Melissa Gatto this weekend. I was hoping that J.J. would utilize her footwork a little bit better, stick with her jab and keep a good pace on Lipsky. But it seemed like from the jump once Lipsky touched Aldrich, Aldrich had no answer for her. But Gato, we know we're going to get all action and all pace from her this entire time, which could end up demoralizing Lipsky and giving her the Lipsky that we've come to know in the UFC cage. So yes, there might be a little bit of recency bias on the Lipsky side here, which is why she's you know at the number that she's at, and she might even get more action as fight time draws nearer. 
But I think the aggressive striking style and just the aggressive nature of Melissa Gato will allow her to dictate the pace of this fight, eventually get it to the ground, and then find a finish either by submission or TKO from that top position. A little bit chalky here, but given how these two match up, and even with the slight technical striking advantage from Lipsky, I fully expect Gato's pace-setting style to be too much for Lipsky, resulting in a finish. So, bet violence if you want. Fight doesn't go to decision, but I think it's going to be Gato regardless, getting her hand raised here pretty emphatically. Next up in the welterweight division, we got 19-9 Max Payne Griffin going up against undefeated 14-0 Michael Morales. Starting off on the Max Griffin side, he's coming off a victory over Tim Means last time around where he was able to dig deep a little bit deeper in that fight and was able to pull out the win, getting it, like I said, by decision. Before that, he had his three-fight losing or three-fight winning streak snapped by Neil Magny, who was able to dig a little bit deeper in that matchup even after getting hurt early by Max Griffin. Max, even in the Tim Means fight, has shown that he has big knockout power and big power period in his hands as he was able to rock his opponent early in that matchup and also get them out of there, almost get them out of there as well. He has relied a lot on his explosiveness and power and agility early in matchups to get his opponents out of there. Otherwise, he seems to fade a little bit, which is why opponents have been able to pull away late and, uh, you know, really drag him through the fire there. Uh, he has definitely gotten better at this stage of his career than he was earlier in his UFC career. But I still think that at 37 years old and starting to face some of the young up-and-comers, we're going to start to see the decline of Max and his skill set. A lot of it, you know, what, like I said, he relies on physical abilities that he has, which really start to dwindle when you start hitting that 37, 38-year-old range. His opponent this weekend, Michael Morales, has a 2-0 record thus far in the UFC, but has faced adversity in both of those matchups. Trevin Giles was able to hurt him early going in that first round before he was able to rally back and eventually find his own finish of Trevin Giles. In the Adam Fugit fight, two judges actually scored the first round for Adam Fugit as he was able to muster up over a minute and a half of control time and do some good work on top of Morales. But Morales was able to pull away in the second and eventually get the finish in the third round. It was really the Nikolai Veritenikov fight on the Contender Series that earned my respect for Michael Morales. That was a fight where, on paper, Veritenikov was supposed to be the guy with the better wrestler, but Morales was able to land takedowns of his own and do significant damage from that top position to earn that decision victory. He's a very explosive fighter with big knockout power in his hands, as we've seen over his last couple fights, but I still think he needs to go out there and fight higher levels of competition and more experienced fighters before we start throwing him into the deep end of the division. He has a lot of experience still to accrue, and the fact that he's only 24 years old, he has all the time in the world, and even if he ends up taking a loss this weekend, I don't think that will derail him too much, and I think it will be a very good learning experience for him too. That loss is inevitably coming. Will it be this weekend? Will it be the next fight? Will it be the fight after that? We'll find out this weekend if he can stop that loss from happening this soon in his career and if he can continue piling up that experience. This is going to be a legit test for Michael Morales and I'm hoping that he ends up getting dragged into the later rounds of this matchup to see if he can continue to push through and eventually get get the win. He can do it against guys like Adam Fugit and even uh, Vera Tenikoff like he did on the Contender Series but Max Griffin even though he's closer to the twilight of his career is going to be a tough test and a stiff you know a, a guy that's going to be trying to give a vet lesson to a young kid like Michael Morales. 
However, I think Morales is up for task here. I think his grappling defense will allow him to keep this fight upright. And then I think his significant striking power is going to be too much for Max Griffin to deal with. I'm expecting a finish here from Michael Morales, but I have no intentions of betting him at the chalky number that he's currently at. I might just nibble on the Morales via KO spot here to try to extract a little bit of value out of this matchup. But I'm expecting for the young gun to come through and that vet lesson is eventually going to wait or is going to have to wait as somebody else more skilled than Max Griffin will be able to successfully hand it out to the, the prospect here in Morales. But as of this weekend, I'm expecting Morales to get the finish probably in the second round, knocking out Max Griffin. We got a great lightweight matchup in the Komen event of the card tonight with Demir Ismogulov coming in with a 24-2 record going up against hot prospect 19-1-1 Grant Dawson. Starting off on the Demir Ismagulov side, he took his first UFC loss last time around at the hands of Armand Sarukian. That was a fight that he was unable to stop the grapple-heavy onslaught of Armand Sarukian. And even though he was able to stop, I believe it was 14 of the 21 takedown attempts for Sarukian, Sarukian was still able to get about uh, 9 to 10 minutes of control time to win the majority of that matchup. I really expected Ismagulov to do a better job in terms of nullifying the control time from Sarukian so that he can get his own offense off with the striking. Unfortunately, we know how good Sarukian is, and it was, you know, just obvious that uh, you know that Sarukian would likely have gotten the better of that, especially seeing how the first round went. Demir, at 32 years old, still has a lot to offer, in my opinion, but doesn't seem to be so happy with the UFC side of things. So he promptly retired at the ending of last year, but was realized that he only had one fight left on the contract with the UFC and is hoping to fulfill that this weekend and then eventually part ways with him. But knowing him and his manager and how they go about their business, there's no way Demir Ismagulov wants to go out on a loss uh, in his last matchup with the UFC. Still a very high-level competitor, tremendous striker, great discipline, great combination striking, great output. It's just his technical, or sorry, his defensive grappling, which he needs to continue polishing up if he wants to continue being successful at this stage in his career. He's definitely going to be challenged in the grappling realm by Grant Dawson, who's improving on a fight-to-fight basis every time we see him. He's uh, on a very good run right now. Uh, In the UFC, he has yet to taste defeat. Uh, His only kind of hiccup came as a majority draw at the hands of Ricky Glenn back in October 2021. He had a great first two rounds, but it was the third round where Glenn was able to muster up uh, a big round and actually get 10-8s on two judges' scorecards to see that fight go the the full distance. Actually, I believe it was, uh, yeah, two 10-8s. Uh, that he got and in the in the third round to see that fight go to a draw but we saw Grand Dawson bounce back very well in his la- last two fights as he was, as he was actually able to pick up third round finishes against Jared Gordon and Mark Madsen both by rear naked choke Grand Dawson I believe this is going to be his third camp now down at American top team where he's getting very high level coaching and tremendous training partners to continue to improve his game and his skill set He's approaching his 30th birthday next year. Uh, so we, we know with a 19-1-1 record, this guy has a wealth of potential and could potentially you know be one of those guys that is going to be in the title picture in the next year or two if he can continue getting these high-level wins. It's just 
Is his cardio really on point against guys that are going to provide him, uh, you know, legit resistance over 15 minutes? And two, can his striking game improve enough because he's eventually going to have to lean on that if his grappling isn't working out for him? I'm excited to see what product we're getting this weekend, and he's definitely going to be tested against a guy like Demir Ismagulov, who has been making a career out of fighting guys that continuously want to take him to the mat to avoid his crisp striking style. The biggest X factor in this matchup is the mentality of Demir Ismagulov. We know that he wants to part ways with the UFC after this matchup, considering it's the last fight on his contract. He prematurely retired at the beginning of the year, like I stated earlier, and who knows how that's going to affect him mentally going into this matchup against a guy in Grant Dawson who's 19-1-1 and who's looking for nothing but getting into title contention. This is the biggest matchup of uh, Dawson's career, but I think he might struggle to get that grappling offense going. If Ismagulov is even 90% of what he used to be at his best, I think he can stop the takedowns, stop the control time, and keep this fight at range where he's going to be successful with his combination striking style and piece up uh, Grand Dawson and possibly even get a late stoppage in this matchup. I like the over two and a half, but it's just that third round that's going to be a little shaky for me. Dawson could have some early success here, but I think he's going to struggle with establishing the dominant position that he needs to cruise to victories like he's been doing in the past. And I don't think he's dealing with somebody here who has a cardio issue similar to the last couple of opponents that Dawson fought. Although I'll say that the... The gas out from Jared Gordon was very surprising to me. Uh, but back to this matchup, I think Ismagulov wins this one pretty, uh, you know, it's going to be a closely contested matchup. I get the pick odds, but I feel like if he can give us what he used to, he will give Grand Dawson a run for his money and possibly win this fight by decision. Give me Ismagulov to end off his UFC career by spoiling the momentum of Grand Dawson and handing him his first UFC loss. And that brings us to our middleweight main event of the evening, where we got 26-5 and five, Sean Strickland going up against 25-4-1 Abus Magomedov. Now, Sean Strickland last time around picked up a big win over Nasruddin Imovov in the first fight or first event of the UFC calendar as the main event. That was him quickly responding to the split decision loss that he took at the hands in the main event slot of the last UFC event of 2022 uh, uh, at the hands of Jared Cannonier. That was a very close fight. It was about 10 strikes that separated Cannonier and Strickland, but it seemed like the judges favored the you know more powerful shots from the Cannonier side as opposed to the output from, from Sean Strickland. But Sean made very good on his next uh, uh, assignment against Imovov, where he was able to utilize his patented striking style, staying in his face and battering Imovov from distance and then picking up that win by outstriking him by over 60 significant strikes and even landed a single takedown in that matchup. Strickland is always going to be a guy that hovers around that top 5-7 to seven range, but just his style makes it very difficult for him to get up ahead against guys that are going to be technically better than him in the striking, uh, or even more powerful in the striking like Alex Pereira, and because you know Strickland doesn't mind getting hit, but we saw that he can be knocked out as Alex Pereira was able to put him away. Strickland, again, very talented and fun fighter, especially in the striking realm, and his ability to push a pace and stay in his opponent's face while continuously throwing punches out there to keep his opponents busy. On the flip side for Abis Magomedov, I saw a lot of uproar in regards to people saying, why does this guy deserve a main event slot against a guy like Sean Strickland? 
Well, he has a 25-4-1 record and has a very solid run that he's been on besides that PFL finale loss that he had to Louis Taylor where he got knocked out in the opening minute of that matchup. He, you know, it was it was a you know an anomaly of a performance right it kind of reminds me of when ricky simone got knocked out by uriah faber in the opening minute of their matchup we saw what kind of run ricky simone went on after that and i believe it's kind of the same thing here with magomedov he bounced back from that louis taylor loss with three straight victories including his 19 second ufc debut against dustin stosu back in september where he started that finishing sequence off with a beautiful front kick up the middle and a you know phenomenal combination after that to put him out completely I think Magomedov is a very very talented fighter. He obviously was born in Dagestan, Russia, but moved to Germany when he was a little bit younger and then has been training primarily out of there and honing, honing his skills. He has a solid wrestling game when he needs it. He's great in transitions and he has a nasty submission game that he can rely on too. But I think the best part of his game is his distance striking style. He does great utilizing his range and chipping away at opponents with his kicks and his long range punches. He hits with a lot of power as well, which is, which was fully on display in his Dustin Stoltzfus fights, but he also has a tremendous amount of finishes throughout his 25 professional victories. I think he is a great addition to the middleweight division and could end up being the dark horse uh, of the division, especially if he ends up picking up a big win this weekend over a talented and veteran guy like Sean Strickland. At first, I thought people were just looking, overlooking Magomedov, especially considering the disrespect with him getting this main event slot. But as I'm seeing the odds start shifting closer and closer to pick him, it seems like people are finally doing the research and realizing this guy could be the dark horse of the middleweight division, like I've been saying. I think his powers strikes from distance and even against the volume striking style of Strickland will favor more so towards the judges, just as it did in the Jared Cannonier fight. Mix in some takedowns and some good top time. I think Magomedov can make it look really good for the judges here and possibly take home a decision victory. My kind of holdup here is the the five-round nature. Obviously, Strickland has a ton of experience in a five-round setting compared to what Magomedov has had, but I feel like Magomedov is experienced enough from all over the world and has a good enough gas tank that he can go the full 25 minutes and at least win three of those five rounds. So I'm going to go with the you know the style that's gonna look better for the judges, which is what I'm, which is what I believe Magomedov will be able to do, unless Strickland can significantly hurt him uh, numerous times throughout this matchup or even knock him out. I think Magomedov is gonna have the bigger moments in the judges' eyes, from his striking to his grappling, and I think he'll make it look good enough to get his hand raised by decision. So whether it's the over three and a half fight goes to decision, or even Magomedov straight up on the money line at that plus money. I think Magomedov is a side here, and I think he gets it done by decision. And there you guys go, breakdowns for every single matchup on this card. Again, Cage Warriors goes down this weekend as well. If you're looking for breakdowns on that card, you can find it all on the Patreon, uh, the MMA Lock of the Night Patreon, so make sure you guys check that out. And if you enjoy doing breakdowns of your own and analysis and research of your own, the MMA Fight Archive is where you'll be able to find direct links to past fights for all of the upcoming events that we have on the schedule. Like I said, Cage Warriors, PFL Europe Series, CFFC, KSW, ACA even has an event coming up again later this month. You guys can check it all out. Links are in the description below. Appreciate all all the love. Appreciate all the support. Drop a like. Drop a comment. And I'll see you guys again tomorrow for the main event mayhem. Diving a little bit deeper into the main event for you guys. Appreciate all the love as always.
I'll see you guys tomorrow. Peace. Last thing. Bye.